Join me in John chapter 15 as we continue our journey through the gospel according to John. While you're turning there, I'll remind you chapter 14 concluded their time in the upper room. And Jesus said, Arise, let us go hence. When we compare the other gospel accounts, we find that they sang a hymn and they went out into the Mount of Olives on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Many conjecture that Jesus departed the upper room and the town where they were meeting together to prevent the master of the house dealing with the mob that would be heading his way and so that the town would not experience an uproar for those who were coming to arrest Jesus. So chapters 15 and 16, as we begin a new chapter today, these chapters will take place with them making their way to the brook Kidron where they will cross over and into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will ultimately be betrayed into the hands of wicked sinners. Let's begin by reading verses 1-8 through of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned." If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Many feel that it's likely, as they were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, that along their journey they passed by a vineyard that gave opportunity for Christ to use this as an object lesson to teach His disciples. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But one thing is good. Any time that you can take everyday life situations and circumstances and use those to witness to somebody, it's a good thing. And Jesus spoke often in parables. Don't be afraid to illustrate spiritual principles by getting creative and using the things that the people, maybe you work with folks, And you can use just everyday work stuff and you can apply that to spiritual principles. We need to especially do this when it comes to the lost. They don't don't yet know. We have to do this for those who maybe haven't grown very much. And so you got to take opportunities. You got to take those things around you. I remember, how many of you have been here long enough? You remember when Dan Hawtrey preached the message about baseball? And I mean, it just, it's just good. He used baseball and I love that message. And so you can do those kinds of things. It helps it stick sometimes to those who are still learning some things and, and, and it's just good. And so Jesus here, he uses the illustration of a vine as branches 
and the fruit it bears to teach them an important lesson. And Christ has many names, many descriptions that He's known by in the Bible. There are several I am statements made by Jesus in this gospel account. We've already seen that He has said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's the last one we find in John in verse 1. I am the true vine. There are several vines which produce fruit. But given that this is taking place in first century Judea, I believe it's referring to a grapevine. And some believe that because they had just had the Passover meal and they took of the cup, Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament. And they believe that maybe that's what spurred this conversation. But that would have been the, the grape juice. And so I believe that's the kind of vine that's being talked about here. And I think that's important. Because if you've ever observed the outward appearance of a grapevine, they look all gnarled and splintered. And they're not very attractive. And when you look at the outside of a grapevine, there's not much there to be desired. Isaiah 53 2 says of Jesus, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's the true vine. He who is the bright and morning star. He's whose countenance in chapter 1 of the Revelation is described as the, the sun shining in its strength. He who is altogether lovely in the Song of Solomon here compares himself to a lowly vine. Jesus took upon Himself the form of a servant. While there may not be much to the vine's appearance outwardly, from what flows within, it produces a beautiful and a sweet-tasting fruit. And the Bible says that it cheers the heart. Proverbs 8.19 says, My fruit is better than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Psalm 104.15 tells us that wine makes glad the heart of men. But to get to the juice of the vine, the grape has to be squeezed and crushed. In Luke 22.44, we read this of Jesus. And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. And His sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And that process of extraction began as Jesus knelt and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The grapes have to go through the wine press where it is tread upon. And because it is such a violent process, it is likened to the wrath of God. Jesus was brutally beaten, ruthlessly whipped. He was treated so cruelly that Isaiah 52.14 says, Many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. By the time 
that they got done with him, he was no longer recognizable. Isaiah 50 and verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. For the transgression of my people He was stricken. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. He hath poured out His soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And He bare the sins of many. Psalm 22 verses 11-21 through 21 say, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths. As a ravening and a roaring lion, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. In Matthew 26 and verse 7, Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. In chapter 27, verses 29 through 31, And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. They took the reed and they smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And they led him to a place called Golgotha. Which is a place of a skull. We know it as Calvary. And there they laid him upon a cross and they stretched out his arms and they nailed each hand to that horizontal beam of the cross. They brought his feet together and they nailed them to the cross. And they lifted up that old rugged cross which is so despised by the world. And they let it drop into that hole. Many believe that his joints would have come out of place right there. And there was the Son of Man. The only begotten Son of God, the true vine, was lifted up and He endured the wrath of God in our place as He bore the sin of all mankind. And as He went through this terrible process of a torturous death, He was being pressed. He was being crushed. He was being tread upon. 
And the precious blood of Christ came pouring forth. Zechariah 13.1 says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And we sang it this morning, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. In Isaiah 1.18 it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 say, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah to the Lamb! Thank God for His blood! It's the only way we can have peace with God. It's the only way we can be cleansed as sinners. And the blood of Christ can get every stain out. He's the true vine. Have you plunged in that fountain? Do you know the joy of having your sins washed away? He's the true vine and He willingly did this for you. If Jesus is the true vine, it stands to reason there are false vines. I would like for you to tell me what other vines have been crushed for you like the true vine? What did Buddha do for you? What has Allah done for you? What has Muhammad done for you? What have the gods in Hinduism done for you? Outside of giving birth to our Savior, what has Mary done for you? Come on now. Did any of these do what the true vine has done? Have any of these endured sufferings for you? Did any of these die for you? Did any of these shed their blood to forgive you of your sins? No other self-professed vines have gone through what Christ went through for you. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He's the true vine and there's no other. If I was genuinely seeking, if I was looking for truth, and if I was hoping for a God which I could place my faith and trust in, then no other religion offers what true Christianity offers. As I look over the landscape of the world's major religions, which one offers a Savior like Christ? I would much rather have a God who died for me to save me than a God that I have to appease and that I have to please by my own works and then hope at the end of life that somehow God's scale of justice balances out so that I might be granted an eternal blessing. I'd much rather have Christ who said, without me you can do nothing. Imagine a God who would robe Himself in flesh and then die for you. As a non-believer, as a seeker, I would like to think that this makes the most sense. 
I'd like to think it's the most appealing, but we all know there's a reason why those are the world's major religions. People still reject Christ. Go figure. Now the vine is a spreading plant. And Jesus is the true vine. And the knowledge of the true vine salvation will spread throughout the whole earth. And in fact, it has. There are believers in every continent today. I don't have time to develop this thought, but Joseph in Genesis 49 represents the ingathering of the multitude of the Gentiles. Joseph was the one who was sold into Egyptian slavery and while in Egypt got himself a Gentile bride. And she gave birth to Manasseh and Ephraim. And Ephraim means double fruit. And Jacob, when he was blessing Joseph and foretelling what should befall his children in the last days in Genesis 49-22, he says about Joseph, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. In Isaiah 52.10, the Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Psalm 98.2 and 3, the Lord hath made known His salvation. His righteousness hath He openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered His mercy and His truth toward the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God's message will be so well known throughout the world that He will redeem those from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, and every people. He will gather in double fruit. And aren't you glad that God isn't hiding anything from mankind? He wants you to know Him. He wants you to see what He has done for you. It's not a hidden mystery. This is not a secret society that we're in this morning. If it was, we'd be packed out. I've never understood that. This is not a secret society. We have nothing to hide, but we have everything to proclaim. What's your opinion of the true vine today? Has anybody here overlooked the true vine because it's just not too attractive? It doesn't seem attractive to you. You won't find any outward beauty, but you will find a fruit that satisfies your every longing and is sweet to the taste. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. As the grapevine spreads, it wraps around whatever it's growing up. Jesus wants to spread into your life and wrap around your heart. Who else has done for you what the true vine has done for you? Don't be deceived by the false vines of this world. Don't let the false vines of religion crowd out the true vine. But I want you to catch this. What happens to those who forsake the true vine whose blood was pressed out, crushed, and tread upon for you? The Bible says you'll be thrown into the wine press of God's wrath and you'll be tread upon. Isaiah 63 verses 2 through 4 say, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have, tread, I have trodden the wine press alone and of the people there was none with me for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment for the day of vengeance is in mine heart 
and the year of my redeemed has come. In Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, it says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. The choice is simple this morning. You either accept Christ's sacrifice where He took your place in the winepress or you reject Christ's sacrifice and you go through the wine press. You say, preacher, you're just trying to scare me. Boy, I wish I could. I wish I could. I, I wish there was enough power in my words, enough weight in what I had to say, a, a, a better way to deliver it, a way in which you would get a sense for the enormity of your sins against a holy God and that you can see that He went through everything for you. And if you reject Him, you're going to endure His wrath for all eternity. I wish I could scare you into heaven. But I can't. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. He's the true vine. He has done everything to make it possible for you to be grafted in and to become a partaker of His righteousness. He's done it all. And once you're grafted in, your life is hid with Christ and God. And then, being in Christ, all of your needs are supplied by Him because you become partaker of the root. Have you trusted Him? There's none like Him. He is the true vine. Let's pray.